0: Hey, welcome to More Than Bread. I'm Dan, and I'm your host, your Bible reader and your guide to all things Lent. (laughs) We've entered into the season that most of the church world calls Lent. Now, if you know me and you grew up in a liturgical church, you know that I'm kind of a liturgical mutt. (laughs) When it comes to Advent, we mix and match. We don't get all the colors right, or sometimes even the number of the candles. I think I've preached on Ash Wednesday once, Pentecost Sunday three times, so to be honest, I'm really not an expert on Lent. I know Easter. I know Palm Sunday pretty well, Good Friday, even Monday, Thursday. But but all I knew about Lent was that it was a season where McDonald's goes all in on Friday, filet of fish sandwiches, and, and people give up chocolate. All I knew about Lent was that a lot of people have given up a lot of stuff for it. I mean, come on, how many times have you heard someone say, yeah, I gave that up for Lent? All I knew was that Baptists didn't do it. So I, I Googled, why don't Baptists do Lent? And I found out that it's because Lent is not in the Bible. So we don't do it, kind of like Christmas. And why we don't do that? <laughs> Wait a minute. So I did a little bit of research. I Actually, I asked my uh, chat AI to tell me something about Lent. And, and, and I, I discovered the rich history of Lent. Many of you already know this, so forgive my ignorance, but along with being a time of preparation for the celebration of the resurrection, Lent is also a reminder of the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness preparing for his mission to rescue humanity. Before those 40 days, he was filled with the Spirit and then led by the Spirit. And during those 40 days, he fasted and he battled Satan and and after those 40 days, he was empowered by the Spirit. It's, it was a time of preparation for Jesus, time of suffering for Jesus, a time of preparing for more. So the best place to learn a bit more about those 40 days in the wilderness is in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 19. So listen as I read. I'm reading from the New International Version. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted. He he was tested. He was tried. He was battled and battled by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. And then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Do those words sound familiar? It's like our theme verse for more than bread. Verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. In other words, there was a time coming that would be more opportune. Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We're going to focus on Luke four these next couple of episodes, but I, I want to set the context, and and the context is actually in Luke chapter three verses twenty one through twenty two. We we got to see this. It says one day. When the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. And as he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended upon him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Can you imagine this? The heavens open and God breaks the silence. In fact, since the days of Malachi in the Old Testament, for about 400 years, God had been silent. And now God breaks the silence, and the very first words out of his mouth are, This is my son. I love him. He pleases me. God breaks his silence at a baptism. He breaks the silence with the applause of heaven. It was September 1993. The baseball season was nearing its end. The first-place Phillies were visiting the second-place Expos. And on the very first game of the series, the home team Expos came to bat, trailing 7-4. to four. When their first two batters reached base, the manager sent the pinch hitter to the plate, rookie Curtis Pride. Pride was hitless in the major leagues. He took his warm-up swings, walked to the plate, and on the first pitch laced a double scoring two runners. And the stadium thundered with applause as 45,757 fans screamed their approval. The Expos coach called time, walked towards Pride, and told him to take off his batting helmet. It took a moment, but then realizing what his coach meant, he tipped his cap to the appreciative fans. After the game, someone asked Pride if he could hear the cheering. This person wasn't giving the rookie a hard time. Curtis Pride was 95% deaf. Pride said, here, pointing to his heart. I could hear it here. (laughs) For just a moment, I want you to imagine your heart in that moment or a moment like that, just the thunderous applause, the the realization that in this one moment, you got it right, the deep inner satisfaction. Maybe it came for you sitting on the front seat of your son or daughter's achievement and tears filled your eyes as they called their name. Maybe it came when someone recognized your sacrifice for them. Their simple thank you was your thunderous applause. Maybe it came in the accomplishment of a dream or, or maybe it was the courage to just take a step towards the dream. Maybe, maybe there's a relationship that was always so difficult, but you hung in there and you prayed and you gave and you forgave. And this year their hearts softened. Whatever it was, you just had this sense that even God himself must be pleased with what you'd done. Have you ever felt the applause of heaven in your heart? Uh, let's let's focus for just a, a moment on that applause. You, you know, I, I remember uh, a few years ago I had the chance to baptize fifty two people in Myanmar. About half of them were children and students from Agape the orphanage, and half of them were from, uh, and half of them were from Agape and ICTS the the school, the theology school, and about half of them were former Buddhists who had accepted Christ as their King. If you've ever been to a baptism at Calvary or all around all the way around the world in myanmar there there are similarities. People gather around and and the pastor or the leader is in the water, the person who will be baptized comes down, and we put them all the way under every bit under the water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. and when they come up, the place erupts with applause. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to be on the sidelines for the blue-white game. Actually, it was more than a few years ago. But Coach Franklin had asked Harold and I if if we would be chaplains. So we came and said a prayer before the game. And I'd been on the sidelines once before, but I'd never run out with a team. And it was actually pretty amazing running out in the midst of 70,000 people cheering. That's what I imagine. Not just a quiet smile and a whispered affirmation, but the thunderous applause of heaven. We can visualize the all-powerful God always in control, the holy God who hates sin, but what about a God who fills Beaver Stadium with cheers? This is sacred delight, and, and it's best heard in the heart. And by the way, listen to me, it is for you. The applause of a father who is your greatest fan, a father who delights in his kids, some of you are thinking, yeah, but that's Jesus, not me. He cheered Jesus. He's probably shaking his head when I was baptized, because he knew I'd mess up, I'd sin. He he knows I'm not worthy to be his kid. But listen to Paul's words in Romans 6. He says, or don't you know that all of us who are baptized, we are baptized into Christ Jesus and we're baptized into his death. We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may live a new life. Now, listen, of course, Paul is saying that our baptism represents the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. Our baptism is a statement of faith that because Christ was resurrected, we too can live resurrection lives. But don't miss this. Paul says that we are baptized into Christ. We are baptized into Christ. We are participating in Christ's baptism. What what Father God cheered that day, he cheers for you. He he cheers, this is my son. This is my daughter. I I love you. You make me happy. You please me. Listen, this is how God sees you in Christ. This is what God thinks of you. Father God is not eternally disappointed in you. He, he isn't always shaking his head in annoyance or sadness or anger. This couldn't be farther from the truth. If you're a child of God, the one thing he always feels for you is love. He loves to cheer you on like a father cheers on his son or daughter. So so why is it that we think God's face toward us is, is often filled with disappointment or sadness? Why, why do we question his love? I think at least in part it is because we equate God's love with our comfort if If God loves us and we perform well, then everything will be good and comfortable. That's kind of what we think and and then we go through difficult times, times when others don't love us, times when we're filled with shame and and life just hurts it sucks. Times when we seem to be headed straight into the wilderness. After his baptism, this this amazes me. Jesus is sent immediately, right away, without pause, into the wilderness. I I don't want to scare you. I'm actually telling you this to give you hope. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time. (laughs) Luke sanitizes this a bit, but... Mark describes it this way in Mark 1. It says, and a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. And then the spirit immediately drove, compelled Jesus into the wilderness. The spirit made sure that Jesus went into the wilderness. Man, about all you can say is that sucks. You're my son. I love you. You bring me great joy. So I'm going to drive you into the wilderness. I mean, there was a literal wilderness for Jesus. Maybe God has never forced you into a literal wilderness, but most of us have spent some time in the wilderness. The wilderness is the place where you feel all alone, even if you stand in the midst of a crowd. The wilderness brings us face to face with a future that seems out of reach. It's a dry place, a, a place where you face doubts and shame and rejection and grief. It, it can be a place of fear or loneliness or weariness the constant stress that seems to silence hope. The wilderness is a place where you can lose your sense of direction. You, you wander around in circles asking, why is this happening? Will this ever end? But, but more than all of that, the wilderness is a place of battle where our hearts are tested. I don't know, in the last few weeks, it seems like every conversation I have is with someone in the wilderness. Talking to a, a pastor today, coaching this pastor who's gone through such a difficult time. Talking to a couple who, whose marriage has kind of lost its love or uh, the struggle of being the kid no one likes. Cancer, a family member struggling with addiction. Someone wrestling with issues of integrity. At night you struggle to sleep and in the morning it's back again. No, Nobody wants wilderness experiences. And when they come... Don't we tend to question God's love for us? But here in Luke 4, it says that because God loved Jesus, because God loved Jesus, because God loved Jesus, he drove him into the wilderness to battle Satan. God loves you, so sometimes he has a very difficult plan for your life. (laughs) I mean, what do you think about a God who in one breath says, you bring me joy, what you've done pleases me, and I love you, and in the next moment drives you into the wilderness? Why did Father God drive Jesus into the wilderness to do battle with Satan? Was it because he was disappointed by Jesus? Was it because he was angry with Jesus and wanted to punish him? Was it because he didn't love Jesus? No, 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 and no again. God drove Jesus into the wilderness because he loved him and had a difficult plan for his life. He had a mission. God had a world-changing, life-giving mission for Jesus, and those kinds of missions, listen to me, those kinds of missions are not given to those who have never suffered. Mm. You will not change the world, your neighborhood, or your family if you're not willing to go into the wilderness, because in the wilderness, God will change you. See, for Jesus, it was misery that prepared him for ministry. It was conflict that prepared him for the cross. It's no different for us. Misery prepares us for ministry. Tribulation authors our testimony. Hardship deepens our hunger for God. Suffering shapes us for glory. God loves you and has a difficult plan for your life. I mean, when in the Bible did God ever give someone a comfortable life that led to an easy job? When did God find it necessary to interrupt time and space to tell someone, I got a mission for you, but it's not going to be very difficult or take much time. It's not going to cost you or get you into trouble. You can do it in between the more important assignments that you think are most important. No big deal. God never does that. Noah gets the ridicule of his neighbors as he builds an ark zoo safety net for humanity. David takes on Goliath before he gets to be king. Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den in order to talk, in order to show a king whose God is really God. Mary gets a supernatural conception with the possibility of being stoned for adultery. God uses the wilderness to prepare us for our mission. I love how Luke puts it in Acts 14, verse 22. I take that back. I don't love how he puts it, but I am inspired, even to some extent, oddly comforted by it. He says this, they strengthen the believers. They encourage them to continue in the faith, reminding them that they must enter into the kingdom of God through many tribulations. See, Luke is basically saying, listen, you guys, that wilderness stuff is to be expected. This is normal. It's kingdom of God 101 entrance exam stuff. So so listen. If you're in the wilderness right now, I'm I'm talking to you. If you're in the wilderness right now, I know it's hard. And if you've been there for anything longer than a day or two, you're wondering if you'll make it. I just want to say, don't quit. Don't give up. Your story is not finished till God puts down his pen. And he hasn't. Let me pray for you. Father, for every person who has gone through suffering, is going through suffering or will go through suffering. God, I, I pray for the comfort of your spirit. I pray for the strength of will, for perseverance of spirit that comes from your spirit, from your power, from resurrection power that you give to us, Jesus. I, I pray, Father God, would you speak to the heart, to the mind, to the soul of each and every person who's going through a tough time. What would you remind them? Would you let them know, maybe maybe they feel like they're, they're finding it out for the very first time, would you let them know how very, very, very much you love them, that, that the applause of heaven is for them? God, we're so grateful for all that you do for us. I, I pray that during this time of Lent, this season of preparation, that you would prepare us for more. There's a a somberness, a sobriety to considering what Jesus went through for us, but there's also a joy and a peace and a sense of expectancy at what you have in store for us. Prepare us for more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.